Welcome to On Conscious. This is Episode 9, Creating a Healthy Home from the Ground Up. Welcome to On Conscious. I'm your host, Liz Cook, functional nutritionist and founder of One Seed Organic Perfumes. In today's episode, we're talking to healthy home expert Leanne Stevens, who founded her business, Healthy Abode, along with husband Lee, with the aim of helping clients achieve natural, clean and simple living to optimise health and wellness in their home. Leanne and Lee have together renovated and project managed over 150 homes, and their homes and expertise have been featured in many publications such as House and Garden Magazine, Better Homes and Gardens, Pampa, Green and The Design Files, to name a few. There is a real focus on things like Green Star Rating and sustainability and not necessarily the toxicity within a home and what a healthy home looks like. It is so important that we've got good indoor air quality and that we are looking at ways to minimise chemicals and mould and dust mites and electromagnetic fields so that those environmental factors are not impacting the health and wellbeing of our families. Welcome, Leanne. Thank you, Liz. It's so great to have you here. I was so thrilled to have met you a couple of weeks ago over the phone, and I could have talked to you for hours and hours. So we have a lot to talk about today. It's going to be really hard to stick to um, the time limit because, honestly, I think we could probably have a 24-hour conversation and still not stop. (laughs) Totally agree. It's so refreshing when you talk to like-minded people. Isn't it? I love it. I absolutely love it. I've read that you and your husband, Lee, renovated your first home at 19. That is so young. How did that come about? Yeah, well, Lee and I actually met when I was almost turning 16. So we've been together a long time. So we, we saved, we were saving from a very young age with the vision to buy our first home. Um, so we did that, yeah, at, at the age of 19. That's incredibly mature. Can you teach me how to teach my 17-year-old how to do that? (laughs) That's amazing. And so since then, you've renovated or project managed or built over 150 homes. Is that right? That's right. It's definitely our passion. It sounds like it. And where was the point during that at which you thought, hang on, there's a healthier way to do this? So we bought a cute little Queenslander, we'll call it a renovator's delight in New Farm in Brisbane back in 2012. Mm -hmm. And I just remember minutes after we settled, I was standing on the balcony and I spotted something in the distance, which actually turned out to be a mobile phone tower at the time. Oh, man. I know. At the time, I didn't realise the implications and the health hazards of living near a phone tower and being exposed to electromagnetic fields you know, things like insomnia and immune disorders, um, the list goes on. So looking back, when we purchased that property, we were primarily focused on location from a resale perspective, you know, is the suburb medium growth expectations and projections where we need it to be. It was on a no-through road. We weren't thinking about finding a healthy home slash healthy location, if that makes sense. Totally. I think that's where we're all at when we look for a new home. It's We're not looking around generally for mobile phone towers or soil quality and things like that. It's about location and resale value more than anything. That's right. So I think for me, it was a big learning that whilst we kind of mastered the, the renovating aspect and due diligence on purchasing a property, there were so many other aspects to consider when looking at location of a new home. And 
from there, I really decided that I needed to engage a building biologist before you know, we made another purchase down the track or even a block of land to do a site audit. And some of the listeners might be thinking, what are you, what are you talking about when you talk about a building biologist? So have you heard of that concept before, Liz? I have, but it's so rare. And certainly when I was renovating, you know, some eight, nine years ago, it it wasn't a thing back then. So it's not something that comes up in conversations very often at all, actually. So why don't you explain what a building biologist does? So a building biologist essentially is an indoor environmental consultant. So they're trained to identify and address health hazards in the home. So they focus on electromagnetic field testing, mould auditing, allergens, and down to even healthy building design. So we were really fortunate that we were able to engage early on an amazing building biologist based in Brisbane, and we worked with her on how we could combat the phone tower radiation. Um, But I thought, you know, happy to kind of share with the the listeners some things to consider when they are renting or buying. I know you mentioned just before like soil contamination, but, yeah, there there is a handful of things from an external point of view and internal. Yeah, we'll definitely get to that. And I think it's important to go through, um, as you say, about renters as well as buyers, because a lot of us these days are going to be renters for a long period of time. So that's an important thing to go through. But I just want to go back one step because I feel like I've missed something. You mentioned that you, um, when you and Lee purchased this home in 2012, you had all these different boxes ticked and then you went out in the balcony and you noticed the mobile phone tower. If that wasn't necessarily on the radar, let's say in the 24-hour period before, where was the moment at which you went, oh, mobile phone tower, I wonder if that's having an effect? And how did you get from just spotting the mobile phone tower through to engaging a building biologist? How did that power itself up so fast out of the blue? To be honest, I was already on a bit of a health and wellness journey in terms of I'd left my corporate job, we'd started our own business. I was eating organic food. I was looking at the labels on my skincare and my cleaning products. I was already on that journey. So I guess when I looked and saw the phone tower intuitively, I just thought this isn't, it's not a good thing. Um, And I actually had a copy of an amazing book, which I highly recommend called Healthy Home, Healthy Family by a building biologist called Nicole Bilsma. And that had really opened up my thought process um, around, you know, renovating. So, and there was a section in there around phone towers. So I kind of connected the dots, but, you know, for me, it was all too late. And buying a house is such a big investment. You put everything into it and there was no going back. And it was a real lesson for us to learn that when you are actually making an offer on a house, even putting the building biology audit um, as a due diligence clause in your contract. So real estates look at us and go, what? (laughs) When they read that, but um, we now include that when we're making offers on properties. That's awesome. So that becomes a part of your building inspection as long as it meets all the building biology criteria, then that's when the contract. And obviously if there is something that we know up front and we know that we can remediate, then maybe we'll negotiate and we'll agree on that. But there's no surprises, right? And I think that was the big thing for me with the phone tower. I just, at the time, Lee and I were thinking about starting a family and, you know, health is, you know, without a health, we have nothing. So 
That's quite a revolutionary concept, actually, isn't it? If we can get people thinking about building biology when they're when they're purchasing, and then that becomes part of the contractual process. That's, I mean, that's so out of left field for most mm-hmm. people. Some people are just going to have their minds blown right at yeah. this point. <laughs> I feel like we're um, skipping over a whole bunch of stuff because I think you and I already have this mindset of what a healthy home is, but it's so unfamiliar to a lot of people. So I really want to go through and discuss a whole bunch of things in regards to what a healthy home actually means. And it's not exactly what people think, is it? So when we think healthy home, we're often just thinking, you know, let's use natural cleaning products, let's uh, not use chlorine, and let's make sure we vacuum the dust and air out the house. But it's so much more complex than that, isn't it? It is. And I think at the moment, there is a real focus on things like green star rating and sustainability and not necessarily the toxicity within a home and what a healthy home looks like. Absolutely. That brings me to my next point. So green star ratings are for energy and water efficiency. And that, as you say, is a very strong focus. And that is considered to be, I suppose, for the majority of the housing industry, that's where the practices um, or theories around sustainability come in. But there's not actually a focus on how healthy a home is to live in. So what are the things that we're missing, Leanne? Yeah, and I guess just to set the scene as well, I mean, if we think about the fact that on average we take about 23,000 breaths per day and we spend a lot of time indoors inside our home, it is so important that we've got good indoor air quality and Mm. that we are looking at ways to minimise chemicals and mould and dust mites and electromagnetic fields so that those environmental factors are not impacting the health and well-being of our families. So things like chemicals, which are referred to often as volatile organic compounds, so they're emitted from building materials, solvents, paints, lacquers and glues, they're a major contributor to toxicity and poor indoor air quality and a new build or a renovated home. So using low VOC, And natural building materials will really help reduce that toxicity and help the home breathe better. So I think that is definitely the key. But not only selecting those building materials, but it's also the method of using the building materials. And what I mean by that is, you know, moisture-sensitive building materials should be protected from weather during Mm. transportation and on-site storage you know, timber should never be installed wet, you know, you don't want to use water damaged timber, which has been left out in the rain for your frame. So it's all... I've never even thought of that. So we're talking about mould essentially, right? So mould basically uh, becoming resident of the building materials while the building's been put together. Totally. So in order to reproduce, mould produces tiny particles called spores and then those spores are carried through the air. You know, often um, they can't, they're so small they can't be seen by the naked eye and they may cause health problems if inhaled by the person or encapsulated, obviously, you know, if you've got a wet frame and then plasterboards going up. So that is something that we work really closely with our builders around the methodology of storing, transporting mould, it's a thing and it can lead to inflammation and cold and What's flu. What's a massive thing these days? 
It is. In fact, they've actually, I don't know if you've heard, Liz, the term SIRS, um, which is actually like a, a diagnosed mould-related illness, which is now recognised yeah. and it stands for chronic inflammatory response syndrome. So we're coming across more and more clients that have got major sensitivities to mould. So it's all good and well to come up with this great list of low VOC products, but if your builder's not following process, you know, you could end up with mould issues at the beginning of the building process. And that's massive because as a nutritionist, we often see people who have underlying mould issues that they're unaware of, but usually mm. that's in houses that are older houses and, and it's especially present in places like Sydney where the um, the rents and the, the, the purchasing prices are so much higher. So people are having to rent in areas where maybe there's mould problems, damp problems, or buildings have been very quickly renovated so they can quickly pop them up for rent or for sale or whatever it is, but we're not really considering this in terms of new builds. We don't often think about mould in terms of new builds. So this is even quite uh, an epiphany for me as a nutritionist because when it's a new build, I'm often thinking about what we call sick building syndrome and the VOCs and the off-gassing and so on, but I'm not thinking about mould. Just on that, how do how do the builders that you work with take it when you <laughs> explain to them, you know, not to put up the frame while it's raining or, you know, letting timber dry out and all those different things that you're talking about? How do the builders respond to that? Look, finding a builder that will share that vision and ultimately a degree of passion as well on these healthy home projects, it can be challenging and it is challenging. And, you know, I'm not going to say to you that, you know, we go through that process and things still don't happen. You know, it's a constant evolving. And then, but I feel with Lee and I, as we build that team of trades, um, they get to know our best practices and our methodology. And all we can do is keep sharing that vision and working harder to achieve what we need to. And I think fortunately we do have builders out there that are open open to this but there, there are yeah. a lot of old school builders too that I've seen homes renovated and new roofs go on when it's raining I mean yep it, it, happens. it happens all the time it does and when mold spores land on a surface where moisture is present like mold can start to grow within 24 to 48 hours and wow. you know we're fortunate to have access to building biologists here in Australia that do mould remediation work, but it's certainly not something I would take into my own hands. Um, you know, people talk about using blends of vinegar and alcohol and essential oils. I would definitely recommend bringing in a building biologist to do that mould remediation work. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen that happen in new builds, you know, where timbers have been used um, that are damp and not dry. So we had to go through that process. What are the other major things that we're missing? So aside from the Green Star rating, energy, water, and then the things that you've talked about with mould and VOCs, et cetera, is there anything else that we're missing? I think working with an architectural draftsman on really good design elements to maximise natural light and fresh air and cross-ventilation. I think there needs to be more emphasis on areas like bathrooms in particular, so that, you know, when you're taking a shower, you're able to open larger windows and not just rely on exhaust fans. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's quite scary to think the number of kitchens that go in and they have the range hood and it's not actually vented externally. It's actually vented um, to a a roof or wall cavity, which is just, you know, prime for condensation leading to mould. So yeah. I think design elements of, of windows are really key. And also from a design perspective, when planning location of bedrooms, ensuring that sleeping areas are positioned away from meter boxes and smart meters and modems and routers, which can give off harmful radiation. So simple things like you don't want your child's bedroom or their bedhead to be backing onto a TV or fridge. So I would love to see more architects bringing in those elements to their design phase And I guess another really key part, which is close to home for me because Lee, my husband, is a qualified electrician, but is the healthy wiring hacks that are now available. So little things like with a new build, um, we always hardwire throughout. So there's no Wi-Fi Mm -hmm. as a bare minimum. That's such a great idea. Yeah, as a bare minimum, if someone is renovating a home and they're not able to redo all of the wiring, turn your modem and router off at night. Mm -hmm. There's also wiring the power circuits in each bedroom. So we do this with all of our new builds so that they can be locally isolated via a switch. So you can actually turn the power off whilst you're sleeping. Oh, that's um, a great idea. Yeah, and, you know, running cables above chest height or not running cables on walls and bed heads. So I definitely think that is a space that there could be more focus on. And you talked a little bit about green and energy efficiency and reducing costs. There's a lot of focus on solar. And when you have solar, you do need to consider the inverter location. You want it to be as far away from the home as possible. So not everyone has the luxury that we've had in previous properties where we're on, you know, six acres and we can put it on the shed. So you want to reduce radiation from those. Solar panels have been known to cause dirty electricity. Have you heard of that term, Liz? It's funny that you say that because this was the exact question I was going to catch you out of left field on. I was going to say I've only recently realised that solar panels emit quite strong radiation and it's not on people's radar because we're thinking of solar being the eco-friendly way and if we're you know truly green we go solar Mm -hmm. but there's major health implications with solar as well talk to me more about that so dirty electricity it is being blamed for a host of symptoms from headaches and sleeplessness to um, even cancer so it refers to electricity that has been transformed or corrupted um, and it's measured as the noise caused by harmonics in an electrical system so it is really technical to to explain but it is a thing and I highly recommend building biologists can actually come out to your home and test for dirty electricity and there are some filters which you can plug into your PowerPoints, which again, they can audit and test to actually reduce and mitigate that dirty electricity. But I just feel like solar is given such a such a green light as, as a must-have in every home. And it's just something, particularly if you're living in a home and you're not feeling at your optimum health, that is something to consider. So solar is the only type of electricity that creates dirty electricity? No, it cannot also come from like appliances and cabling. I think there's there's a whole kind of ethos, but there's definitely focus, I think, 
at the moment on the solar because so many people are just having that as a straight tick the box must have um, and then realising mm. that there, there could be some health implications associated with it. It's crazy. What comes to mind for me is the comparison between the greenwashing in my particular industry, let's say the cosmetics industry, but it's also in the building industry and I'm guessing across every industry that exists in the world. But greenwashing in building, I mean, I'm just going back to the green star ratings where we think we're doing the right thing just by looking at energy and water efficiency. But now you're talking about solar being being an issue in terms of its potential health implications as well. It opens up a lot of questions and a big can of worms there. We need to do as a, probably as a government, a little bit more research before we just try to encourage everyone to just blindly switch over to solar, don't we? I think so. And, you know, that really ties into the building code and the requirement to use LED energy saving globes in 80% of new builds as because they're more energy efficient than incandescent. But there are health concerns that are being raised as they emit large amounts of aggressive blue lights, which over time can lead to health challenges. Mm. So we're kind of scrapping like incandescent, sorry, incandescent lights are really hard to find and they're being phased out, but they do resemble more of your full spectrum analog sunlight. So it is quite challenging sometimes when building code and practices are put into place and they're not necessarily considering the health of the occupants within that home. So and that's that's why from a design perspective, natural lighting and window placement, you want to maximize that natural sunlight so that during the day you're not having to depend on artificial lights and turning lights on. That's crazy. You're totally blowing my mind. I thought I knew a fair, fair bit about this side of uh, this side of health, but you seriously, in 20 minutes, you've already blown my mind about four times. So this is, um, yeah, I mean, somebody like you is going to come in very handy for somebody who wants to really do complete due diligence when it comes to renovating or building, because it's obviously a, a way bigger complex issue than any layman can understand, I think. So I'm glad that you're here to walk us through a bit of it today because it's it's actually really mind-blowing, Leanne. Oh, thanks, Liz. It is my passion in terms of not just building a healthy home, but maximizing our well-being and, you know, looking at people that are building and giving them help along the way at little lifestyle changes they can make. I mean, quite often we'll say to clients, let's really minimize the use of LED downlights and keep them to task areas where you need full light. But, you know, at night when the sun goes down, candles or dimmed lamps with halogen globes are really lovely. You know, you can even invest in a pair of blue light blocker glasses. I don't know if you've heard that concept, but they help to produce melatonin for restorative sleep and health. So, there are little hacks that you can work through. And I, I really love sharing those with people as we go through that journey. And mm-hmm. it's one step at a time. You can't expect to do it all overnight, but there are resources and things available to, to help. Yeah. And it's interesting. I did a a podcast a few weeks back about sleep and the the blue light obviously it's something that most of us hear about quite frequently but I didn't consider 
that just your standard downlights are now LED emitting blue light. So yeah, minimizing the LEDs is actually should, if you're having trouble sleeping, should actually make quite a big difference to your sleep. But yes, I do hear about uh, those <laughs> blue blocking glasses on a lot of the American health podcasts that I listen to. There must yeah. be all the rage over there, but I don't know many people yeah. here that have them yet. So we we definitely need to um, be talking about them a bit more, I think. It doesn't it doesn't hurt to try, right? <laughs> totally. Especially if you're having trouble sleeping. I mean, you really just got to look at everything, don't you? You do. When we renovated our home eight years ago, I spent a lot of time investigating options with the lowest possible toxic output. And it was such a tough battle back then. Most of the suppliers had absolutely no idea what even a VOC was. And amazingly, even the paint companies would often say, what do you mean VOCs? So, I mean, we've come a long way, I think, in eight years. Um, But many of the companies had no idea about the toxic nature of standard building materials and some you've already talked about. Can you talk us through the process of renovating a home to be, quote, cleaner or healthier with as little chemical emissions as possible? And where do you start? You've kind of given us a a little bit of a starting point, but really where's a good place to start and what are the questions you're asking? And now I'm talking about renovating as opposed to starting from scratch and building. Sure. So I think establishing your priorities, so understanding what's important to you, like do you have any chemical sensitivities? Um, What will you compromise on versus what you won't? You know, some people are focused on reducing VOC, some are really focused on mitigating mould exposure. So you really need to bed down that scope so that you can meet your priorities and your budget. Can I just stop you there? Because how does the average person know what their priorities are? So if I'm if I'm Joe Blow and I'm about to renovate a home and I don't really know much, but maybe I eat organic food, maybe I'm trying to minimize the chemicals I use in my home, but I want to do a healthy renovation, how do I know what my priorities are? Where do I get that information from? How do I know if mold is my priority? How do I know what my sensitivities are in terms of VOCs or other gases that might be emitted? Where does the layperson start? So I think, you know, if you do have health challenges, I am definitely seeing a move from integrated practitioners that are questioning the environment that you live in and are able to do blood tests to check for mold sensitivities and alike. So definitely working with those holistic practitioners on that front. Um, I mentioned before buying a copy of the Healthy Home, um, Healthy Family book. That for me was a real eye-opener and each chapter covers a different area so it's not too overwhelming. And then obviously engaging a building biologist that they can come out and do that site audit on your home that you're looking to renovate so they can do an indoor air quality test to see if you do have existing mould issues they can do testing for EMF to see if there's, you know, you're picking up signal from a local phone tower. So that would be my recommendation. Um, And don't be afraid to question everything. So just like you read labels on your food or your skincare, um, if you don't already, I I recommend this practice, but just questioning everything. And, And one area that I've found really useful is when you are reviewing a building material or an internal finished product, I always contact the supplier and request what they call a material safety data sheet. 
And if I read that and I've got concerns regarding the information they provided, then I can engage a building biologist for further advice. So if I'm looking at a particle particle board or a plywood and I'm concerned about the levels of formaldehyde in it, then they will have to give me that breakdown. And, you know, nine times out of ten, the companies will be able to provide that, not a problem. But quite often you won't hear back or they don't have one available, then I just move on to the next supplier or the next That's product. a red flag, isn't it? It's a red flag for yep. me, for sure. And there are products that are more inert these days too. I know eight years ago it was a massive struggle to try to find, for example, um, timber boards that had no formaldehyde emissions, but you certainly can get them now. So if you hear from any builder that says or any supplier that says, it's not available, love, <laughs> well, you can tell them you go somewhere happen. else because – yeah, that's right. It does happen, but they are available. So I think you just, like you said, you have to ask the questions and keep digging and um, and be persistent and get the answers you're looking for and not just accept a no answer from people. I think so. And also, you know, eight years ago for you, it would have been challenging. But as we move, you know, in 2020 and beyond, I think more and more people are focused on toxicity within a home and look questioning the environment they live in and and the fact that it could be making them sick so there's new products hitting the market all the time just being really mindful of that greenwashing element but you know I'm actually meeting with a company tomorrow that um, have a responsibly sourced wood fiber which is made in Europe which is a alternative to traditional insulation that we produce and it's breathable it offers thermal insulation so you know, it's so exciting to tap into those. And I guess that is part of the service we offer when we do consult with clients is we're able to kind of share with them best practices and and new products that are coming out. And I think the key really is engaging um, as well an architect and builder who share your vision to achieve that healthy environment and are open to learning along the way because, you know, there, there is new products so that they need to be open-minded. And, and fortunately now there are more products readily available and more awareness. You know, there's places like the Green Building Centre in Byron that have stocked the full range of non-toxic paints and finishes. So as a consumer, you can go in there and know that they're your trusted advisor. Mm. And I guess I always think about the fact that in a perfect world, we'd all live off grid in a in a home made of rammed earth. You know, I dream of that, <laughs> yeah. but, but that's, that's it's right. not practical and people no. need to protect their investment. You know, if you're building something in the heart of Sydney, you know, you're going to really struggle to get your money back. And that, I guess that is the part for Lee and I, we're really passionate about working with clients to protect their investment and having a beautiful product when you finish building that's still going to be robust and stand the test of time but be not emitting those chemicals and nasties and potentially making you and your family sick. And in reality, not all of us are purists. So, I mean, I probably 90% of my friends and colleagues would say they want a healthier home, they want to, you know, they want to have products that are healthier and so on, but they're not prepared to go to the ends of the earth or spend 48 hours researching this particular topic or whatever it is. So I think most people would say, yes, give me the healthier option, but they're not so puristic that they need a rammed earth home, earth home and they're prepared to deal without Wi-Fi, et cetera. So it's trying to also find the options that are viable 
everybody can implement some sort of change to make their home healthier and you can go from, you know, one to a hundred, a hundred being let's implement all of the changes and you can literally just implement one thing and it can make quite a difference as well. Is it possible to create a home though that's low tox or no tox either when you're renovating or when you're building? Look, I believe it is and the key really is to selecting the right finishes and, as I mentioned before, getting your builder and trades buy-in to make sure that they actually have the skill set to work with the products and the material selection. So to give you an example, you lay beautiful solid timber floorboards but you don't want to slap on polyurethane coating on those. You want to use breathable, beautiful oils, but they need to be burnished. So that's a skill set within itself. So you need to make sure that within your budget, because if a builder's looking at, oh, yep, that's easy. We, you know, we sand and polish floorboards all the time and they quote X amount, but then you go, oh, I want to use this oil and it's got to be applied three times and it's got to cure longer and it's got to be burnished. That's a lot more labor intensive. So potentially that could take you over budget. And the last thing we want with a healthy home is being stressed financially when you go over and above what you've expected or what you've allowed for certain things. So I I think it definitely is achievable. I think you just need to be very mindful upfront and to be calling out the products that you're looking and the methods used to apply. What are the materials and products in our homes that are contributing the most, would you say, to home toxicity? So for me, I always focus on the large coverage areas, so such as walls, so they cover so much surface. Paint can off-gas for many years, so obviously looking for a low VOC option is key and low VOC means that obviously there's low odour, it's free of dangerous chemicals and solvents and, you know, there's some great low VOC paint options out there. You're not restricted to colours or anything and even some clay options out there. So I think being really mindful that conventional paints can be made up of, of nasty petrochemicals, so really worthwhile. Like if it's a if it's the minimum you do, it's like use a, a low VOC paint because it's going to be off-gassing for many years to come. The next element I would say is flooring because, again, that's a big surface area. Um, I tend to steer away from carpets even though there are some natural options on the market. I prefer rugs because they can be hung out and placed in sunlight and shaken. Underlays and yeah, carpets. and you're not having the dust gathering under the um, the carpet for many years too, right? So it's limiting right. uh, dust mites even under a wool carpet. Yeah, that's right. And underlays and carpets are typically laden with so many chemicals and flame retardants and insecticides because they want to be able to warranty the carpet for ten years. Not to mention the fact that you know it also traps dirt and dust mites. So. I think for me, I recommend, you know, solid timber or concrete and staying away from polyurethane products to seal in flooring. So you want to use natural oil so that the home can breathe as nature intended. Ultimately, breathability is key within a home. Something that, or an area that people don't think about is buying new furniture. You know, they create this low-tox home and then they bring in all this new furniture, which can also offer Yeah, so true. Such as formaldehyde that can be found in couches, cabinets, bed frames. So really questioning what you bring into your home and, and staying away from fabrics with upholstery and chairs 
that have flame retardant foams because they never really stop off gassing and the foam breaks down every time you sit it will release particles into the air so it's really bad to inhale not only that flame retardants are actually found in umbilical cord blood these days so you have a brand new beautiful baby that's untouched and flame retardants already circulating through the body you know most people don't realize that they're thinking the practicalities and maybe just the breathing in but you're actually circulating that stuff not just to yourself but to your unborn children as well massive right. issue there's flame retardants in clothing pajamas it's yeah it's actually quite and then your skin is the biggest organ so it's absorbing that in so it's it's definitely an area that I want to create more awareness so people can vote with their feet and support brands that are doing the right things because there's definitely a lot of beautiful fabrics and even clothing that don't have those nasties. Yeah, absolutely. I think what I wanted to mention also was just looking at your daily practices. You know, when when you're cooking, make sure you turn on the range hood or if you're having a shower, turn the exhaust fan and open a window and storing food in glass as opposed to plastic which can leach nasties into your food like I I feel that there's that other element you know pots and pans may increase your exposure to toxic metals and chemicals um, particularly the non-stick offering so ideally looking to opt for like stainless steel cast iron I think you mentioned before swapping out toxic cleaning products and self-care products and cosmetics because all of these layers they impact the quality of the air within the home. Um, And remembering this when you book a builder's clean, you might go to all this trouble to have this beautiful low VOC home and then they come in with their toxic chemicals and that can really affect, you know, the indoor air quality, no synthetic fragrances. And one thing that I'm really passionate about my own home is removing shoes. Like it's a practical switch, like take your shoes off at the front door to stop bringing the dirts and the molds and the bacterias through your home. And it's the heavy really metals as well from the street metals. yeah, on the roads. Yeah, it's yeah. a really simple act of sort of nurturing the energy within your home and limiting those environmental factors of what you can bring into the home. So even when you do create a low-tox home, I still encourage you to open your windows and doors of that new renovated home or that new build and let it off gas. You can even look at buying like an air purifier to take pollutants out of the air and even placing like indoor plants in living areas. They've been known to help with balancing humidity levels and pulling contaminants out of the air and reducing airborne like mould and bacteria. And the bonus is they look really nice as well. Yeah, and they give oxygen, of course, too. So you're increasing oxygen in your home as well. You are. And also, I think the peace lily um, removes formaldehyde. So, you know, there are actually species of plants that have directly correlated outcomes. Mm, and mother-in-law's tongue as well. That's the other one yes, I know of. That's, that's um, that it looks actually like it wouldn't do anything, <laughs> but apparently it does remove formaldehyde and quite a few other um, toxins. So peacefully and and the mother-in-law's tongue, good investment for sure. Yeah. Let's just skip to offices for a minute, and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about how we can make our home into a well space. But what about offices? Where do we need to make changes to improve the health and well-being? in our offices and of office staff. And can you talk a bit about how sick building syndrome impacts on performance in the workplace? 
So sick building syndrome is a condition that comprises um, otherwise healthy individuals who experience symptoms of illness when in the workplace. So they might be allergy-like symptoms or runny noses, skin rashes, and they are quite commonly linked with newly renovated or constructed buildings. So that can lead to staff becoming unwell and taking time off, resulting in you know reduced productivity, loss of motivation, increased sick days, and can also lead to serious illness long term. I actually spent 10 years working for a large corporate IT company. So I get the whole sick building syndrome, you know, you're sitting under artificial light all day, often with windows which don't open to allow any fresh air. You're breathing in recycled air from the air conditioner and often those air conditioners haven't been serviced or cleaned on a regular basis so can emit mould spores. I can remember sitting eating my lunch in front of the computer without taking a break. You know, I can't encourage enough for those individuals to step outside and soak up some vitamin D whilst eating hopefully your nourishing whole foods lunch and you know that can really help boost that can really help boost your immune system even taking your shoes off and connecting with the earth mm. and you know just soaking up um, time in nature on those breaks and obviously movement is also key so taking regular breaks to have a quick stretch or a walk around that will really help with boosting you know your mood and motivation and we talked just before about indoor plants, but connection connection with nature makes us happy. So why not bring the outdoors in? You could bring some, some lovely plants to your office space. And I think the other hopeful thing is even the ability to work from home. So to try and reduce the amount of solid days that you have to be in that office setting yeah. can also help. I'm all for that. I actually hope that the whole COVID-19 lockdown work from home thing completely changes the trend. I, I would love to see people working from home more. I think most people are loving it. It's been a total lifestyle change that I think has worked for the majority of people. And I think we're less focused on work, which that in itself is healthier. If nothing else, that's going to make us healthier. I totally agree. And the number of people that I have spoken to that have said that their companies are now looking to reduce the footprint of office space and have more hot desking arrangements and supporting more working from home models and giving people time back in their day yeah. so that they can actually do exercise if they're not commuting and sitting in peak hour traffic. So I think it really has opened eyes of you know large companies and employees about the benefits. Totally. And it's interesting. I'm just considering the the government debt with um, all of the help that they've been providing with COVID-19. But if we continue on the trajectory of being able to work from home, going for more walks, spending more time with our families, that will actually uh, result in people having less sick days. There'll be less burden on the health system. People will be generally more healthy. We'll need to attend hospitals less. There's so many reasons to make working from home work for people. And I think that's even more reason why we should be looking at the condition of our home uh, and how it impacts on our health for sure. So during this time, most of us have been really focused on creating a more beautiful space at home, which is more conducive to positive physical and mental well-being. What have you seen are the current trends and demands in this regard? We are seeing that people are time poor and having a daily practice at home can be more achievable and even more economical in the long run. So clients wanting to reclaim their health and wellness are looking to create flexible rooms or spaces within their home 
which they can use to practice yoga, meditation, set up a home gym. We're actually even seeing bathroom and room designs to accommodate infrared saunas. That's um, awesome. People want to focus on toxicity, flush out their lymphatic system, even down to outdoor ice baths are becoming popular and people wow. are starting to look at, okay, well, I have the pool area. Yeah, there, there really is a shift to sort of taking that back within the home. We've even seen massage table areas, you know, where husband and wife have said, I'm going to do a masseuse course because I see it really important to rejuvenate and reduce stress. Um, and are these changes that you've seen just since the COVID-19 things come up or is this something that's been kind of on the radar for people for a little while? I think it's been on the radar for a while, but I think it's really become top of mind following yeah. COVID and people being homebound and saying, I can't go and do my yoga class or I can't go and jump in the sauna at my local place of choice. So I think I work a lot with people that they've had their own health challenge and journey. And so they're engaging us um, and they already have a really good baseline um, of knowledge and you know, working on their health and their well-being. So, but I'm definitely seeing more and more inquiry around these flexible spaces. So, and that's that's really pleasing to see. Mm. And I think, you know, there's also a shift to just go slow and simplifying our lives, you know, removing clutter from your home can really increase productivity and decrease stress. So have, you know, things having a place within your home. So I've really seen that over COVID-19 with you know, social media, people focusing on those areas because they've been homebound and they've been looking around going, do I really need these? Mm. Do these things bring me joy? I bet Marie Kondo um, is trending again. <laughs> I was just going to say, have you seen the Komari book? Yeah. Yeah, well, I've, I read her book when it first came out a few years back and I thought it was good, but once the um, the show came out on TV or Netflix or whatever it is, I watched four or five episodes and I was already in a decluttering mode, but, man, I that just geared me up another 10 levels so I have so little clutter in my house and I fold things all in a nice little way now it's actually quite um, amazing though the power that decluttering has on your lifestyle and and on your mood and health yeah so and I really do feel like things weigh us down you know oh yeah so and another area that we have seen is, you know, kitchens are a huge focus as clients want to get back in the kitchen and cooking from scratch is more important than ever. Putting in compost, creating veggie and herb gardens. I think a lot of people probably had that on their list of to-dos, but then, you know, with the whole lockdown and not wanting to go to the shops, they're looking at ways that can be more self-sufficient. And it doesn't mean that you have to live on an acre of land. You, you can do it in small blocks of land and, and get your kids involved and, you know, use that opportunity to really educate on where food comes from. Having your own chickens or your bees. We actually, we have our own bees here um, in Byron, but we brought them from Brisbane. So um, oh. <laughs> they're immigrant bees. <laughs> They are, That's they amazing. are. So, in fact, my little girl, she's taken a jar of honey to school because she did a harvest um, when we were doing the homeschooling and we made a video and shared it with the children. And, oh. of course, the children were just amaced at, whoa, you know, that's so how honey's made. So she's taken it in for them to to share. So, yeah, it's lovely. So good. 
getting back in touch. You've spoken to me previously about your passion for taking a home and making it into a sanctuary. And I think all of us, especially now more than ever, just can't imagine not wanting to come home every night to that experience. Can you tell us where to start to create a home that's well in itself, but also enhances the wellness of the people who live there. So we've talked a little bit about the building element, but also let's talk about the styling and how do we just create that sanctuary in our homes? So for me, I really believe in investing in lifelong timeless pieces that suit your lifestyle. You know, buying what you love as opposed to what's on trend. Um, I mentioned buying new furniture can contain nasties, you know, such as formaldehyde, So it's a really good idea to understand where your furniture is made and what materials and finishes are used. So get to know your furniture maker and artisans and support Australian made where you can. And, you know, save up for that special piece instead of rushing out and just buying up. I'm focused on reducing consumerism. You know, I've worked with clients where they're used to working with interior designers that just want to fill a house on the day one that you move in. Instead, we take a really slow, conscious approach to that and say, well, hey, how about we will put a coffee table in the lounge room and some beautiful floor cushions and we'll start with that and we'll see how you use the space, you know, rather than just running out there and maximising budget and walking into this home that, that doesn't have a story really surrounding yourself with furniture and artwork that brings you joy and, you know, supporting handmade and local and fair trade and sustainable. I think it brings such a beautiful energy to the home. And I love that idea that you just said about doing that slowly. It's slow home design. It's slow renovation because we do, we read these beautiful house magazines and we just want to have that. We think that's the sanctuary. But I think what you said is really key. It's about bringing in elements that bring meaning and a reflection of yourself. And that's how you create the sanctuary. It's not just filling the house with beautiful looking furniture, is it? That's right. And I think I can remember many, many years ago having an interior designer come in and just totally deck out the house. Like I went to my corporate job and came back and I stood there and my husband was like, do you love it? Are you happy? And I'm like, where was that cushion made? I, I, I yep. felt so disconnected to everything. And I just remember thinking, my style is different. I, I want to know that story behind each piece. And I think that approach of going slow really does. And that works from a budgetary perspective as well, because you can just, you can yep. save up and you're not feeling overwhelmed and overcapitalizing or, or overspending in the beginning. Um, I think as well, from a styling perspective, I, I love working with a, a really neutral palette. So, and incorporating like different fabrics and textures love using a combination of wool and linen and organic cotton and jute and hemp. So I think kind of this mix in conjunction with like indoor plants and beeswax candles, essential oils, creates that really calming and relaxed space to live in. So I would find when we would finish a home and people would come to visit, they would enter and they'd really comment that it doesn't smell or it doesn't feel new and shiny and smelly. You know, it's they can smell the oil from the timber, uh, you know, yeah. it, that breathability. It, 
I really, I think that really is what spurred us on to create Healthy Abode was people coming to our space and just feeling, wow, I feel good here. I don't want to leave it. That we thought, wow, we're we're onto something. You know, if we can create homes where people feel good, then, you know, that's, that's a really good outcome because a lot of new homes that you walk into, I don't know about you, Liz, but the smell and Oh, I just can't get out of them quick enough, to be honest. <laughs> and and there's a sterility about it as well, especially when something is just styled up to the hilt. And as you say, it doesn't reflect the character of of anybody who lives there or any particular person. It might look pretty, but it's like looking at a two-dimensional photograph as opposed to meeting a person. So that the sterility of those spaces is not pleasant. Yeah, that's it. And when it's staged, it, it feels cold. It doesn't feel yeah. homely. You don't want to mm-hmm. sink into that couch. And as you said before, there's no story to it. And that is the beauty of of going into somebody's home who's not only taking the care to make sure that the home is healthier, but they're buying pieces that have some type of a story. And maybe that often means buying secondhand as well. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about ways that you can accommodate a tight budget if you're looking to create a healthier home? So that might either be for somebody who's renting, for example, or for somebody who really wants to do a reno, but they just don't have the big money to spend on handmade couches that come from llama hair in Nepal. (laughs) (laughs) Australian natural timbers, that's what we should be saying. That's right. But how do we accommodate a tight budget? Yeah, and look, it's totally understandable. Um, so, look, I recommend placing new furniture in the sun for a few weeks to let the nasties off gas. So, of course, keep it dry, like don't leave it out in the rain overnight and things like that. But yeah, I would definitely recommend that. Um, but also looking to buy secondhand and vintage, that has a story in itself behind it. So I, the only thing that I always say if you're looking at secondhand, it's totally fine on everything, most things, but just not a mattress. But I do recommend buying once and buying well. So be gentle on yourself. You don't need it all at once. Um, but certainly there are some great, great finds when buying secondhand and, and making it your own. You know, if you're good, if you like to sew and things, you can work on remaking cushions. And, you know, I have a girlfriend that strips back all the old chest of drawers and things and and recreates it and her house is so special. Mm. It's another great idea you've just brought to mind, which is if you have a friend who sews but you're really good at stripping back paint or whatever it is, you can swap skills as well and so you can each help each other make your home beautiful even if you don't have the skills yourself. That's right and, you know, friends that can make curtains and things like that. You don't need to necessarily go out and spend an absolute fortune. Yeah, definitely. I've got a final question for you, Leanne, and that is if we were only able to make, let's say, two to three changes to the home that we live in right now, what would have the biggest impact on our well-being? Do you know what? I struggle because there is, so, from a building biology, oh my God, there is so many things um, that look – for me, I really have like the three W's is what I want to call it. So okay, water. let's do that. <laughs> so yeah, water first. I think I mentioned earlier that the bodies are made up of 70% water. So the water that we drink and bathe in is so important as our skin is our biggest organ. So what we put on it and what we drink is so critical. So filtering your drinking water to remove nasties such as chlorine and heavy metals and pesticides via like an under sink filtration system 
and placing filters on showers and baths. So I know with my little ones, they go in the bath and they pretend to be drinking or so they're still ingesting the water. So there is also whole house systems that you can put a filter on the main. So I feel for me, like water is part of your daily ritual. So for your family to reduce toxicity, putting water filters on um, is really key. The next one would be windows. So the ritual of opening a window on a daily basis. So without proper air movement, a house can trap in toxins, which can lead to respiratory and other health issues. You know, it's a really easy way to help um, improve circulation and and remove those nasties. Even considering if you live near a busy road or just newly built or renovated, I recommend investing in an air purifier or if you've got an area or you're living in an area that's susceptible to mould, a dehumidifier. Great. And the last W is Wi-Fi. So just turning it off at night, your router and modem as a minimum, getting a qualified electrician to hardwire Ethernet cables, even getting a landline, not a cordless phone because that still has radiation, but really reducing your family's exposure to EMF. And I feel like that's really top of mind now with the introduction of 5G you know, even when we're out and about now at parks and schools, we're exposed to electromagnetic fields. So creating that haven to come home to where you don't have that Wi-Fi buzzing 24-7, I think is so key for our immune systems and our, our children's little bodies to just have that rest and downtime. That's so great. It's been so good having you on today, Leanne. You've blown my mind on so many levels, but it just it's opened another can of worms for me. So <laughs> I'm going to have to go and start doing some some more research because I'm about to look for a new home. So this is um, going to be uh, my next pet topic, I think. <laughs> but it's, you've just been a wealth of information. If people want to get more information from you or how they can even work with you, where do they find you? So they can find me on Instagram on Healthy Abode Living or we have our website which is www.healthyabode.com.au. That's awesome. Hey, and I'm definitely going to buy that book and I think everyone should. But my next question, my last question for you is when's your book coming out? (laughs) (laughs) Have you been talking to Katie? No, (laughs) No, I haven't. I'm just sensing a book. I'm feeling a book birthing. (laughs) Yeah, no, she always says books are like the new business card. You should Um, so do it. I would buy that and promote it. Promote the heck out of it. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for being part of it today, though, Leanna. So appreciate it. But when you do put a book out, please let us know because, you know, you've got so much information bubbling from you. And I just think there's not enough people talking about this and certainly not enough people that have the expertise or the experience like you do. So, yeah, more power to you. I think it's amazing what you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. And I think, yeah, I'm just so passionate about creating that awareness and, you know, allowing people to make small changes along the way, but just, yeah, asking questions. It's, yeah. It really is as simple as that. So it's always the key, isn't it? Keep asking and keep searching. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Leanne. Unconscious is presented by One Seed. Find out more at oneseedperfumes.com.